from Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 10. We already read that. And after the sermon, we will sing in response from hymn 6, stanzas 1 and 2. Hymn 6, stanzas 1 and 2, after the sermon. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we may witness the ordination of a select number of brothers to the offices of elder and deacon in this church. For the occasion, I've chosen for our attention a passage from the book of Jeremiah, a passage that highlights some important aspects of what it means to be called and set apart to be an office bearer in the church of Jesus Christ as well as also meditating upon what our passage says about the purpose or the mandate of the wonderful task of shepherding the people of God. Therefore, the sermon for this morning has been summarized under the following theme. The Sovereign Lord calls, consecrates, and commissions his servant Jeremiah for the task he assigns him. We'll see three points. First, God's sovereign call. Secondly, God's gracious consecration. And thirdly, God's weighty commission. First, God's sovereign call. In a short time from now, after the sermon, the brothers who have been elected and appointed to their respective offices in the church will be asked this question among others. Do you feel in your hearts that God himself, through his congregation, has called you to these offices? This reminds us, once again, that that no small part of being an office bearer in Christ's church is having a strong sense and awareness of God's call, calling one to office. This is a crucial matter to realize because no one may enter office based upon his own personal, individual choice or personal decision to do so. Being called is not a matter of running a good campaign or winning a personality or or popularity contest. Christ's church does not operate by the same set of rules that the world operates by. Article 31 of the Belgic Confession, when speaking about the offices of the church, basically sums up any wrongful way of entering office as intrusion, like an intruder barging into a house that's not their own. They don't belong there and they should be removed removed from the premises immediately. Instead, it must be understood that God chooses who will serve in the capacities of elder and deacon. He calls these men. And so it is, a, it is truly a divine calling, not a human calling. Even though God is certainly still pleased to employ human means, such as enlisting the input and prayers of the congregation in order to issue his call. And so when God calls, who would dare reject or or despise that call?
would dare to treat his office as a place to be lazy or lax when it is the Lord who has, who has laid the office upon one's shoulders. Just as Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Note that last part, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God's sovereign handwriting can be seen written all over one's election and appointment to office. And we get a good sense of God's sovereignty over the whole calling process when we examine closely the call of Jeremiah in our text for this morning's sermon. Now it is important to note, as by way of a sort of disclaimer, that the call of Jeremiah is unique in its own right. Being called to be an elder or deacon today is not the same thing as it was to be called as an Old Testament prophet. The prophet Jeremiah lived in difficult times, nasty times, dangerous times, pagan times. He was set apart to be a prophet during such times to a wayward people. You could say he was sent to a post-Christian people. Our text says that he was sent to the nations. The Hebrew word there for nations is goyim, which typically refers to Gentiles, but here in this instance also includes the Jews, God's people, who had become indistinguishable from the pagan nations surrounding them. And so Jeremiah was charged with bringing a message primarily warning them about coming judgment. He was sent to bring a message that no one wanted to hear. There are other differences to note between Jeremiah's calling and the calling today, but what is to mention is sufficient in itself to show us that not everything we read here is, is a strict pattern for office bearers in the church today. But that said, our text does reveal some general principles which shed light on how God selects his servants and the tasks that he gives them also today. For see how Jeremiah's call is fully the Lord's doing. In verse 5, we read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Notice here that this is the Lord speaking. He is the I here. God himself is the anchor for Jeremiah's confidence in his task, for his task. Not anything that Jeremiah himself had done. God sovereignly chose Jeremiah from before the time he was in his mother's womb before he was even a twinkle in his father's eye, and he set him apart, designating him for this special task. The fact that it was God who called him gives Jeremiah's calling 
all the more weight and all the more force. Jeremiah was called to be a prophet. Now a prophet is not some kind of glorified fortune teller. They were not simply in the business of making predictions for the for what was to come in the future. No, they had the task to redirect God's people back to their God and back to living in obedience before Him in accordance with His law. It's helpful to remind ourselves of the institution of the prophetic office in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, where the Lord told Moses, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. And I will tell them everything I command him. This tells us that a prophet was a, a bringer of, of holy revelation. One who would be, as it were, a, a mouthpiece for God. And yet, we find that there is reluctance on the part of Jeremiah to accept this task. He acknowledges God's sovereignty, but but stages a bit of a protest. He says in verse 6, Ah, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Is Jeremiah making excuses for himself? Is he claiming to be incompetent? Well, we need not think so, brothers and sisters. Basically, Jeremiah is saying, I do not know how to speak well enough. I'm too young, too unqualified, too weak, too inexperienced. He's far from pumping his own tires, inflating his own ego, or or waving around his own credentials. He treats his task as the Lord's service, rather, with deep humility. That's the kind of humility that the Lord desires in his servants. The Lord does not seek those who love to hear themselves speaking, who love the sound of their own voices, who love to tell others what to do and how to do it. Advice once received in seminary applies equally well for budding preachers as it does for office bearers and for us all. Whatever you say, exhort, admonish, should be felt on your own toes first. For only when we recognize our own inadequacy, our own failures, our own shortcomings, only then are we made fit for service, primed and ready to hold an office in Christ's church. For reflect on this. God could sovereignly decide not to use any of us and be fine without us going on his own. He could employ other means to do what he wants to do in the church and in this congregation. But what does he do? He chooses men. He uses men, weak men, sinful men to take care of his people. If we truly grasp this, we will share in 
the profound humility that Jeremiah shows here. This humility is the only fitting response that accords with the sovereignty of God's call. We come now to our second point, God's gracious consecration. Jeremiah protested his appointment and the Lord responds in such a way to confirm him for his task. We see this in verse 7. Basically, the Lord tells Jeremiah, I don't care how old or young you are. I've prepared you, so go. You may not be the one who is aged with a, a crown of, of gray hair. But neither are you one who is immature in faith. You have a spiritual maturity about you, Jeremiah. In spite of your youthfulness, you can still be an example and a valuable tool of the Lord in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. The same goes the office bearers being ordained here this morning. The qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 should be found in you. But let that not puff you up. It's the work of God's Spirit in your lives. Instead, let what has been observed and noted in you remind you all the more to rely on the Lord and on the grace He provides to strengthen you by His Word and Spirit as you care for the church of God for whom Christ died. For an office bearer is nothing on his own. Jeremiah was nothing on his own. His authority rested solely upon the word he was called to bring. And that's why we see this symbolic gesture in verse 9. Where the Lord reaches out his hand, not physically, for, for God is not a man like us, but spirit. And he touches Jeremiah's mouth. It's this act of, of consecrating. This is an act of consecrating, setting apart, making sacred. He touches Jeremiah's mouth so that the word he would speak would be the words, the very words of God. This is not unlike the task of office bearers today as Christ's ambassadors. The office bearer is entrusted to speak the, only the words of his master and none other. For only there does he find his authority. That means he must not come to share his own wit, his own opinions, his own clever ideas and proposals. No, apart from bringing the word of God, all an elder or deacon or minister or professor can bring is hot air. Rather, he must hold fast to the word, stand firm upon it alone, and administer it boldly and faithfully without adapting it to the preferences of the people for one of the greatest pitfalls or dangers of an office bearer is to be a people pleaser. It's fair to suspect that this fear of man was a large part of Jeremiah's reluctance.
reluctance and hesitation to take up his calling. It may, it may well happen that fear of rejection and, and opposition will be no small obstacle to serving the Lord faithfully. It may well happen that people might disagree or become offended. And it is also possible that an office bearer will make some unwise mistake and receive criticism for it. Add this all together, and it's not difficult to see how the fear of man is a great hindrance to the ministry. But the Lord knows this. The Lord proceeds, therefore, to speak words of comfort and encouragement to Jeremiah in order to calm his nerves and address his concerns and fears. He says to Jeremiah, do not be afraid of them. Why not? The Lord gives his reason immediately following, for I am with you and will rescue you. The Lord will graciously defend and, and give protection when one meets with trouble in their task. Trouble will inevitably come. And yet in those difficult times, we must remember the Lord's promises to be with us, to accompany us, and to give us the words to say. Therefore, office bearers can be confident in their task. Because God's presence and approval is, is more valuable than the accolades of man. As the writer of Proverbs wrote in, a, in Proverbs 1 verse 7, The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Who, al who always knows the right words to say? Who thinks themselves to be so eloquent, so convincing, so wise and winsome? with words wisdom the word says doesn't come from looking inward wisdom comes from looking outward and upward wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord when we begin there everything else will fall into place it's when we rely on the Lord's help and proclaim his word undiluted, unaltered, undefiled, that our calling won't be something that, that chills us, but, but thrills us. It's very good to remind ourselves again and again in this regard that God does not call those who are already equipped, but he graciously equips those whom he has called. We come now to our third and final point, God's weighty we find the commission the Lord gives to Jeremiah in verse 10. We read there, See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Well, this was a weighty commission when we think, meditate long and hard upon it. It involved speaking hard words against Israel and the surrounding nations. The language and the words of this verse are, are piled up on top of each other to stress the magnitude of the message that Jeremiah was called to bring. And 
we should notice the decisive effect or the impact that Jesus' words and his ministry would have. The picture that we are given is one of a, a wrecking crew. When a construction crew enters a house that needs significant repair, they begin their work by, by ripping out existing walls and flooring, tearing out old fixtures and appliances. All that's outdated, all that's rotted and decrepit gets, gets tossed in the dumpster and carried away. Sometimes even the only solution for a place is such rough shape to fire up a bulldozer. All of this wrecking and, and demolition must take place before rebuilding can happen. Well, in a similar way, Jeremiah's commission as a prophet was in part to reduce Israel to her knees. Before Israel could rediscover the love and favor of God, they had to realize how impoverished they were when they forsook the one and only God and all of his promises to follow other gods, following the example and practices of the idolatrous nations around them. They had to take stock of their sin and the great hindrance that it was to their living in peace with God. Interestingly, we read here that Jeremiah was appointed to be over nations and kingdoms. So powerful was the word of God that Jeremiah was called to bring that the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians were all small potatoes in God's sight. Israel was just a small country sandwiched between enormous empires on all sides, constantly under threat by other nations ready to squash her. The kings of Israel and Judah knew this and lived in constant fear and were always feverishly trying to protect themselves with, with this or that treaty. From an outside perspective, Israel's survival seemed to depend on military power and alliances, the right conditions and connections, forcing them to forever shift their loyalties and allegiances to the strongest player in the region. But here the Lord reminds Jeremiah and also us today that despite all the opposition we might perceive and feel against us, the one who was really in control was God. He will bring to pass whatever pleases him. His word stands above every other power there is on this earth. As we have in our hymnal, if God is on our side, against us shall be none. And so the purpose of Jeremiah's preaching and labor would consist of issuing warnings of judgment and fostering restoration. Two parts. We can here be reminded of what Lord's Day 31 teaches about the dual purpose of preaching. That is its function to expose sin and speak the good news of Jesus Christ. 
office bearers must bring also this same twofold message, encouraging the members of the church to put off their old nature and clothe themselves with the new nature in Christ. The Apostle Paul viewed his task in the same light when he says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 and 16, we, that is the Apostles, including Paul himself, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, fragrance of life. In other words, there will be times when people are teachable and the office bearer's task will be a joyful task. That's the fragrance of life. But other times people will be unteachable and unrepentant in their sin and disobedience. That's the smell of death. So office bearers must seek out the Lord's sheep, just as the good shepherd himself would persist in seeking out his lost sheep. Through the judgments that Jeremiah and other prophets alongside him pronounced against Israel, she would be broken down in the hope that she would be rebuilt and restored by believing again the promises that God had long ago extended to her in the covenant. What great it is then that the Lord's commission to Jeremiah ends with build and to plant for the Lord could have commissioned Jeremiah uh, just simply to bring judgment upon his stubborn and, and wicked people so that they would ultimately be destroyed wiped off the earth but see here the patience the tolerance and kindness of our God in seeking out his people to bring them to repentance. In the same way should office bearers treat those entrusted to them in their wards. Though words of reprimand and admonishment may be necessary at times, never should they be divorced from grace, which acknowledges that there, but for the grace of God, go I. Our text this morning, we've seen, has much to say concerning those entrusted with the special offices in the Church of Christ. In it, we've been shown that it is the Lord who calls, the Lord who equips, and the Lord who extends the offer of His grace. The brothers who will be ordained here this morning will soon take on the responsibility of being those called to give good and faithful care and leadership in the congregation for its benefit. And as congregation, you must pray for such men in their task and lovingly esteem them, as we'll read later in, on in the form, so that they may carry out their work among us with joy and not as a burden. Amen. <laughs> 